Happy New Year. Welcome to this edition of The Start. We are one day, 24 hours away from having us all back together. Joining us in studio this morning. Are you sure about morning. that? I'm not certain. That's no, the plan. I think, uh, I think he has three days off. No. Week. Yeah. Is he not back tomorrow? I don't think so. Well, never mind. Check the schedule. That's the voice of Loren McNabb rejoining us after what felt like a month off. Felt great. At least on this side. I'm sure to, it didn't feel like a month off for you. Uh, that It didn't, but it doesn't really ever, right? I have to say that might be the, be the longest Christmas break I've had in 22 years. That's great. In this job because you normally don't get that time. Right. And then the stats just fell where they did. And then I put up my hand and said, I'll take those three days here. So it was great. It was a great. I had a great time with family. Great to be back. Of course, waking up and everything feels a little tighter <laughs> and the puffier and puffier salt I don't know like I feel like a, I feel like the an actual turkey you know where I've been basted and now I need to get back at her so. I made the mistake uh, I guess it was Saturday went through my closet mm. and tried on all my pants oh uh, why <laughs> Why? Why? I needed to declutter. It was time to declutter. Yes, I get that. You there's an organization. There's an organization who receives some very nice jeans and very nice casual slacks for their clientele. So I was happy to do it. I have benchmark jeans. Do you have those? Like yeah, I I kept a a one dress pant and one jean. It's like I'm gonna get back in those one day. I have two pair. One that I'm sure I can get back into and kind of cycle in and out of over the years, and then one that I haven't been back into. In quite some time, and it's like, why are you even here? Are they still in fashion? Like, oh yeah, they're great pair of jeans. Okay. But it's like, why are you're just mocking me now? You know, <laughs> like I just I did the exact same thing. Went through the closet yesterday because it's something about, you know, you're you're, you're you've got through the holidays, and now you feel that need to to get back on whatever horse that bucked you off, whether it be the organizational horse or the exercise horse or what have you. And I started to felt this great need to purge myself, but I didn't. I did not try things on. You're like the person who. My husband will often do this. Weighs himself at the at night. Oh no, 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 no! I like, haven't been like on 8 a scale. PM, but I'm like, dude, you just we just ate, and it's the end of the day. Like most people weigh themselves in the morning. Well, maybe he's more realistic than yeah. uh, than others. No, I just go by the belt. Whatever whatever hole I'm right. using on the belt. Yeah, if I'm in one that I haven't used before, then that's usually not a good thing. And anyway, there are a couple different measurements there. Uh, could being organized be a micro goal, Loren McNabb? I guess or is that too broad? I don't know. We're going to get more into that in our next segment because, of course, it's the time of year people talk about New Year's resolutions and what plans have you made for 2023? And should it, should it be like a lofty goal? Like for myself, I just I'm declaring this year of getting healthy. And by that, I don't... Boy, that's a pretty broad term. I, right. But it could mean a lot of things by the end. And so that was the... We're going to get into the point of micro goals in the end. And, you know, so you say your, your goal is about weight or health. Well, then start small. Maybe it's a walk a day. Maybe it's a trip to the gym once a week. Maybe it's a trip to the therapist once a month. But, you know, you're, you could have the umbrella goal. But then within that, what's starting a bit smaller so it's a bit more achievable? Well, and if you sense that you are unhealthy in some way, shape, or form... You didn't get that way overnight, and to imagine that you're going to correct things overnight, right. I think, is probably uh, unrealistic. So we'll, we'll we'll talk about that a little bit more. And as you said in our next segment, we'll we'll set things up for a conversation later on this morning as well with the idea of how are you? What does that mean? How should you answer that? How should you ask it? as we uh, make our way through the morning. But it's not often, Loren, that one of the top news stories comes from the world of sport. Last night, uh, even if you were not watching Monday Night Football, if you were watching Team Canada in the quarterfinal of the World Junior Hockey Championship, it wasn't long before text messages were were being exchanged uh, amongst your friends about, have you seen what's going on in Cincinnati? Damar Hamlin, the safety for the Buffalo Bills, taken off the field after receiving CPR on the field in Cincinnati. The game was suspended, and at last report, Hamlin is in critical condition in the University of Cincinnati, uh, University Cincinnati Hospital. All sorts of questions around that, of course, because at first your thought was he took a hit, and so you're connecting it to the hit, but no, he, he, he collapsed couple seconds afterwards, it was very clear there was some sort of medical distress. We still don't know what was going on. Then, of course, there was the questions of, well, cancel the game. Like, how are, you, how are you still playing this game? And I think it was a full hour after it happened before they made that decision to do it. And so we're going to talk to Derek Taylor at 8 o'clock just about 
the, the whole idea of how often do we see medical incidents in game. And it's, it's more common than you think to have players collapse. And sometimes it has nothing to do with what just transpired in that game, but their, maybe their overall health or an undiagnosed condition. And what is the, what's incumbent upon the broadcaster to do something, but also as a fan, how you feel sitting there, and also as a player. Yeah, the te- uh, tears from the Bills players openly sobbing, some of them, on the field last night. They also, uh, when Hamlin uh, was being worked on by by medical, uh, medical uh, personnel, they formed sort of a human shield around him so that Hamlin could have some privacy. Mm-hmm. He's basically at center field with uh, 60,000 people uh, in attendance and millions watching at home. And the whole idea of, as you say, why did it take so long for the NFL to uh, to suspend the game? And also, under what circumstances are they ready to go back to work? So we'll talk to Adam Big Hill about that as well. Family is a big deal in sport. And so this is going to impact uh, players uh, emotionally as well. The biggest sports story in North America is transcending sport and is one of the top news stories, period. The Monday night football game between the Buffalo Bills and Cincinnati Bengals was suspended and then postponed after a severe injury to Bills safety DeMar Hamlin last night. The Bills released a statement early today saying the 24-year-old suffered a cardiac arrest following a hit during his first quarter tackle of Bengals receiver T. Higgins. Reporter Lionel Moise has reaction from those wishing him well. The same shock you could see on the faces of players in the stadium after DeMar Hamlin collapsed was felt by fans. I was hopeful when he got up at first, but to see him just collapse, it's scary. The bar we were at went pretty silent. Fans lining up outside the hospital to show support. We're fans, but we're people first. And we just want to pray. The Bills say his heartbeat was restored on the field and Hamlin is now sedated in critical condition. Lionel Moyes, ABC News. There'll be players out there who can relate to this, having seen someone they know go down, family who might have been watched a loved one get hurt in a game. Or maybe you're just a fan who's been to a game before and watched someone go into the boards and thought, oh my gosh, what have I just witnessed, right? And I think that was the emotion on the field last night because he was administered CPR you really don't see that very often in sport. You might see someone get off on a stretcher, but, you know, he was administered CPR. Teammates then surrounded Hamlin, sort of shielding him from public view, trying to give him privacy. That reporter mentioned the tears while there were players weeping, fans weeping as he was carried off the field. And he was taken by ambulance to the University of Cincinnati Medical Center. And teammate Stefan Diggs later went to visit Hamlin at the hospital. While fans of both teams gathered outside, they were holding candles and praying, Greg. Yeah, as we mentioned, uh, Hamlin was hurt while tackling Bengals receiver T. Higgins on a seemingly routine play that didn't appear unusually violent. I've seen uh, posts on social media, T. Higgins, this being close to the holidays. Yesterday was the pseudo New Year's holiday. So many people had yesterday off. Higgins' mom was at the game last night, as was Hamlin's mom, who rode in the ambulance with him to the University of Cincinnati Medical Center. So, you know, family is a common theme, a common conversation conversation when it comes to sports teams and when and when we visit with Adam Big Hill in about an hour's time we'll really hone in on that idea and get back to the play Higgins was running with the ball in a 13-yard pass from Joe Burrow that's a quarterback of the Bengals when he led with his right shoulder hitting Hamlin in the chest Hamlin then wrapped his arms around Higgins shoulders and helmet to drag him down Hamlin quickly got to his feet appeared to adjust his face mask with his right hand and then Loren he fell backward about three seconds later and lay motionless on the field so he was down for 19 minutes while receiving medical attention WXIX-TV in Cincinnati, they reported that Hamlin required an automatic, automated external defibrillator, so that's the AED, and also received CPR on the field. And one of the questions coming out of that was, you know, everyone was like, are they going to really continue playing this game? I get it. It's a pivotal game. And you might be saying, well, players get hurt and games continue. But from what's being reported, what happened on the field last night was that his heart stop that's a very different scenario and so there was it felt like to some well what's the delay 
in suspending or postponing this game, Greg. Well, and, and, and so a couple of different reports coming out of that. There are reports that suggest it was the players themselves that said we are not going back on the field. Troy Vincent, former NFL uh, player who now works for the National Football League. He's the league's executive vice president of football operations, is denying that. He says it was fluid situation. Things were changing by the minute. It was obvious on the phone in the conversations among the amongst the leaders and decision makers that the emotions were extremely high. It was a very volatile situation. And Vincent goes on in this report to refute ESPN's broadcast report that both teams were given a five minute warm up period to resume playing. Vincent says, I'm not sure where that came from. It never crossed our mind to talk about warming up to resume play. That's ridiculous. That's insensitive. That's not a place we should ever be in. So this is a huge conversation about a multitude of different things in my mind. The AED and the availability of this equipment has uh, expanded dramatically over the last decade. You and I were having a discussion this morning, Loren. Do we have one in our office? And if so, do we know where it is. Do you have one in your office, listener? And do you know where it is or in your place of work? I knew where it was in our old location, but I don't know where it is. And if we have one now. No, I, I don't. I don't have a clue. And I, I also don't even know the basics of, you know, I know the basics, I suppose, of CPR. But in that moment, how do you react? So, of course, he's surrounded by medical professionals that can help him out. But you know, as you're watching that, you're just you're you're you feel like your own heart starts racing trying to think about what those players and, and then you mentioned his mom being there watching that go through that. So as you mentioned, we'll visit with Adam Big Hill, Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Great in about an hour's time. And then Derek Taylor will join us just after eight because we want to talk just about that decision to postpone that game and the other players that have been through this. It sounds like, you know, when you look at it, you think, wow, when's the last time this happened? And actually, Derek and yourself have put together quite the list. There's there's several players we'll get to after eight who have been through this before. And, and what is the precedent there for stopping games? So, postponing them, suspending them, or other. Well, I'm going to give you some names, and if you want, you can Google them over the next uh, little bit here as we uh, make our way through the morning. Hank Gathers, 1990. You can uh, you can look up uh, his story. He collapsed in the middle of a basketball game and actually died. Reggie Lewis, basketball player, Boston Celtics uh, guard, passed away passed away following collapsing on the court during a practice. Several NHL uh, hockey players have collapsed and had cardiac episodes uh, either during or, or prior to a game, and so the, the list is, is is a lot longer than you might imagine. So your thoughts on this, 204-780-6868. We always want to learn from events like this. And I think, uh, as I mentioned, the biggest one has to do with our own preparedness for an emergency in the workplace. How would you react, honestly? And and, and really, do you know? I, there's somebody I know in, in our building and in most office places who's a designated emergency person, right? Like they've been given some extra training so that you can help you through that. Do you even know who that person is? in your workspace and, and who are you calling for help beyond 911? One of our listeners saying, and do you know how to use the AED? I mean, the instructions are pretty simple. It, it is supposed it, to be straightforward. It's supposed to be but- straightforward, but I think it's a, a terrific uh, question for sure. It's Mackling McNabb, Poitras. We've got Sarah McCarthy is here. And Jeff Forche in oh, Master yeah. Control. How are you, my friend? I'm good. How about yourself? Good. Happy New Year to you. And we're going to start our conversation with something from our colleague Sam Thompson. Sam does writing for our online uh, globalnews.ca. Uh, and Sam uh, <laughs> is ready to uh, throw 2023 out already, McNabb. He thinks uh, that we need a rewind or a race button uh, to start things over. He wants a redo, a mulligan. Got up early this morning. He tweets yesterday, and getting ready for work after taking a bunch of time off for the holidays and ended up accidentally putting a plug-in kettle on the stove, which is fine. You can put the kettle on the stove and That's plug it in. That's not fine. Well, no, he turned on the element instead of plugging it in. Oh. And so he melted oh. said kettle and uh, created uh, quite a mess. Did not end well. Now I have no kettle and burnt 
plastic smell. So we want to go around the horn here. We want to talk about the things, the crazy things, the silly <laughs> things, the uh, maybe mm, embarrassing ways we've destroyed something, either purposefully or by accident. Poitras? Well, the absolute dumbest thing that I've ever destroyed was my Mazda protege um, when I was in, I was working in Merritt, BC, and I had a flat, previously had a flat tire. Um, and I, you know, I changed, and I had changed tires a million times before. Um, not a million, but like a few at least. And so anyways, I, I changed the tire and all that sort of thing. And I didn't have a great jack at the time that I did it. Anyways, I ended up not tightening the bolts enough. And so I drove out of town to go cover this story at this golf course, um, working for the radio station there. And I hear this bang, 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 bang. I'm thinking, what the heck is it? And I park, and on my way back, and it was about a 45-minute drive, I keep hearing this bang, 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 bang. So what it was was my was my uh, wheel, which was not secure, was banging around in my wheel well. Um, uh, and... Uh, I, I didn't even know how to explain it, but the, you were ignoring this sound and kept uh, driving. You well, just turned up the radio, or what? I, I was completely flat broke. I couldn't afford to get a. Uh, well, well, you to just get a, hope it. Maybe if I just get there, it will just go away. That's well, yeah. Just turn up the radio. That's the sort of problem. And anyways, I had completely <laughs> destroyed uh, my brake pad, the whole entire thing. By the time I got home. Uh, and I parked the car. That was it. I couldn't even drive it after that. But I, I made it back home. And I, and honestly, it was at a sliver. It was at a sliver. And I was driving like in the like through like the mountain passes. I would have lost the wheel. Would have went flying off somewhere. And I could have careened off into a off a cliff. Um, yeah. So that was the stupidest thing I've had. One of the probably the dumbest thing I've ever done, and the dumbest thing I've ever destroyed. All in one. There you go. Hmm. Well, we're glad you're here to join us this morning, Cam. I've destroyed a lot of things like that. I ignore a lot of things with the car. And I've been very terrible for, I don't think I'll ever learn to come into the garage a little more slowly because I've taken off more than one side view mirror. I almost did that last week before we hit the road and I pulled the car into the garage and my husband's behind waiting for me to pull the car in. Then I'm going to jump in the car that we're taking and I slowly, I wasn't slowly easing in. I just ram it in and I all of a sudden hit the brakes and I look over and I'm like a hair from hitting the side and I look in my rearview mirror and my husband's just, he's great. He just laughs, like he shouldn't, he should get mad, mm-hmm. but he just laughs. But the, the dumbest thing, I've, this is kind of embarrassing. I When I got into reporting, I you know, you don't have enough money necessarily for good clothes and it's fairly low paying when your entrance into TV. And I finally had this money for this outfit that I wanted from a store called Jacob, which no longer exists, but mm-hmm. I, it was a dress and a coat. And then I'm a sweater. I'm like, I sweat a lot. And I'm a Schwitzer. And so I bought this stuff to like, it's like you, you put it on your, it's, I don't even know what it's called, but it can't be good for you because I, you're supposed to put it on at night, but it was a really hot day. And I was like, well, I'm just going to test this stuff now, put it on. And it like completely changed the color of the dress, which was blue to brown. Like it went back to whatever the original you know, mm-hmm. color was before they dyed it, but in a slow sort of hyper color way. Do you remember those T-shirts where if you were yes. hot, it changed the color? And oh, by the no. end of the day, I've gone from this gorgeous blue outfit that I was finally able to afford to these stained armpits and stomach, and like it just some. It's like just like my whole body just sweated out the chemical, and I ruined the whole outfit. And then you had to explain to me like what happened. Did you roll in bleach this morning? Did you run into like a sprayer wash? No, just thing? my personal alkalinity. Right. Yeah. Oh boy. What about you, Forte? Oh, for me, this was when I was living back at my parents' place. I was in the kitchen, and uh, I saw a spider. I'm not a big fan of spiders. It was above the doorway, and so I went and grabbed the old trusty broom. And I go, and I really want to get the spider, so I went, whack, and I got it. Except uh, the plastic part, like where the bristles are attached to, end up uh, making a dent in the, uh, the wall, and... Uh, it was very, very embarrassing, very, very embarrassing, and I told my mom, but I didn't tell my dad. And it was months later, my parents were FaceTiming with my brother, they're in the kitchen, and we're all hanging out, and I see my dad walking around, and then he looks up, and he can see it. I go to my mom, I was like, uh-oh, uh-oh, he sees it, he sees it! <laughs> he just shook his head. It's all fixed now, but uh, yeah, I dented the wall trying to... Uh, Get you, a, a you, spider. You weren't forced to fix it. No, no. Okay, no, he, he so wouldn't you, want me fixing it. Well, you, you should have. Uh, you know, your mudding skills uh, maybe would have been improved. Uh, what about you, McCarthy? 
Well, I've moved a few times in my life, so I've lost some plates here and there, smashed a couple, but I was hanging up some art and like other stuff like a mirror. I thought it was secure, good on the wall, but a couple minutes later, I'm in a different room. I hear this oh, no. horrible sound, totally shattered the mirror. I don't have any bad luck yet, but uh, that's the worst thing to clean up. There's a lot of tiny, tiny pieces. Yeah. Mirrors. Clark, you do, did you feel a little bit superstitious or just I, a little, a little bit? Uh, just a little just bit. Just a tiny yeah. bit superstitious. <laughs> It is Breakfast with the Bombers, brought to you by the Cooperators. Find an advisor at cooperators.ca, a better place for you. Right now, we want to say good morning to Adam Big Hill. Hi, Adam. Hi, good morning. Thanks for joining us so early in the morning, and it's not a pleasant thing we want to talk about, but there were many of us either watching the game or saw it unfold again on social media, and I'm curious what went through your mind when you saw what went down with DeMar last night. Yeah, I mean it, it. It's scary, you know. Like um, even even my kids were watching the game and and were really concerned, you know. I'm like didn't want to leave the TV. I mean, it, it was bedtime naturally for them, but they didn't want to leave the TV because they wanted to make sure, you know, that he was okay. They were very concerned, and you know, as we all were, um, you know, it was a strange thing that happened, and you know, don't want to speculate into, you know, why or how or what, but you know, just really just want him to be okay and. So lots, lots of players. Adam, it's not unusual. In fact, it's commonplace for players to get injured. Uh, maybe a little bit more uncommon for them to get carted off the field or helped off the field, uh, you know, with mechanical aid. I think only once in my 40-plus years of going to Blue Bomber games have I seen an ambulance on the field. That was back in the 1980s. John Bonk, the center of the Blue Bombers at the time, was, was carried off on a stretcher subsequently in ambulance at Winnipeg Stadium. Have you ever seen or experienced anything like that? A, a teammate or a player on the other side uh, being taken away in ambulance off the field? No, no. Like you said, it's very rare, you know, so not many people would, would, would see it. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I've had some uh, a couple teammates that have been immediately off the, you know, carted off and then immediately to the ambulance to go to the hospital for, follow-up stuff but not not ambulance on the field so in that moment you know uh adam when you when i was seeing some of the faces of the players on the team and the tears streaming down some of them and then of course the shock in the fans faces even people who didn't know them your kids you reference you know you don't know them but you can feel in that moment and the family aspect of a football team is something you and the bombers have often talked about and so there there would have to be so many in there you're you're literally in the trenches, so to speak, in the sense of side by side, day by day. And so when you watch that happen, could you imagine continuing the game after that? You know, um, it's tough to say. I mean, I think a lot of people would be feeling fairly um, apprehensive just because emotionally it puts you into a place where, like, you're not you're not ready just to. to probably be giving it your all like like you're supposed to right and and um you know if your mind can't focus on the task at hand and you can't um go 110 percent with no reserve you know then there's likely going to be more injuries and and um you know so you know if it's going to be weighing on people's minds um it's it's probably safe not to finish the game that's for sure i mean i don't know how i would be able to react just because it's it's such a foreign concept that a lot of us haven't experienced, but I can imagine um, how difficult it would be to try to stay focused and, and act like nothing happened and go about business as usual. Adam, I didn't sleep very much last night trying to stay up on this story and get different points of view and aspects of it. And and one of the stories that seems to be coming out of this is the Buffalo Bills. They're a very close-knit team. One of the reasons seems to be geography and the fact that they're in Buffalo, not the distractions of some other larger centers. And so the, the players and the family seem to be awfully close with one another. And that's a theme that we've heard from you and your teammates over the, the – 
pretty much since you arrived here in Winnipeg, but certainly a, more of a crescendo to that over the last couple of years. Talk about how close you actually get with some of your teammates, with uh, some of the families, uh, whether it be spouses and spouses or, or maybe even the coaches and, and their spouses and maybe even the parents of some of your teammates. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, um, it, it, it is like uh, a, a giant family. I mean, we spend so much time together, literally like every single day for for six months you spend together and you're together for a very, very long period of time. Like, um, you know, if I'm there from 5 to 3.30 or 4, you know, for um, many of those hours, you know, probably from eight eight o'clock onward until about four. You know, I'm spending it. You know, that, that amount of time with these people every single day. Um, and then you know, you get to yeah, you get to learn people's families. You get to know their kids. I mean, they come in the locker room and you know, you get to know their spouses. And you know, um, you know, um, you know, wives get together and and they're able to hang out and, and make friendships and the kids make friendships. So I mean. Um, it does feel like family because of how much time you actually spend together, like you would spend together with a family. So it's, uh, it's unique. It's what makes this game so great and, and really Winnipeg so great because of the culture and uh, because of, you know, how we operate as a family unit. How much does that weigh in on your decision? You just signed a two-year contract extension. Where does the family aspect or the fit with the team go, Adam? Because it, it's making me sit here and think, you know, you can love the job. You, of course, love to win. But we've all been in experiences before where you think, well, I like what I do, but I don't necessarily like who I'm doing it with. And so you need to like who you're, you're on the field with, for sure. I, it sounds obvious, but it might influence your decision to leave if you don't feel that. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And, and I think... Um an important fact is, you know, some people may not, um, you know, if you're early in your career, you may not understand truly how good it is and how much you really enjoy it until you go and have an experience where it's not like it was. And you're like, wow, that was special. Or you came from a place where you thought it was good. And then you come to Winnipeg and you can see how much better it is. And you have a contrasting experience and say, wow, well, this is clearly what I've been missing. And, um, you know, so perspective helps for that side of things, but um, no doubt about it, you, know, you can't come in our locker room and um, not feel welcomed and uh, supported and obviously um, you know, cared about. So you know, it, it is a great place to be in, and it's what really is a massive influencer for me to want to be back because I love doing what I do, and like, like you said, but I like doing it here, and, and um, you know, I, I don't want to take that chance that uh, it's going to be better somewhere else. Well, happy new year to Christina, the kids. Congratulations on that contract. It's great to see you in and around the community in the off season. You've become a true Manitoban. And Adam, we, we appreciate your insight on, on what happened uh, last night in Cincinnati. Next time we will uh, celebrate uh, your off field career and some, some other things. If you'll join us uh, later down in the uh, off season. Sounds good, guys. Take care. Thanks, Adam. All the best. Adam Big Hill, uh, multi- three-time uh, most outstanding defensive player in the Canadian Football League, three-time Grey Cup champion, and now long-term Winnipeg Blue Bomber, inking a two-year contract extension November 29th to uh, probably keep him here for the rest of his career, Loren. Crossing my fingers right now. want to start this hour with a decidedly uh, serious conversation as you know by now and and we're just hearing in the news run with Sarah McCarthy the biggest sports story in North America is transcending sport the Monday night football game between the Buffalo Bills and Cincinnati Bengals was suspended and then postponed after a severe injury to Bill safety DeMar Hamlin so of course we have learned in in the last few hours that the 24 year old suffered cardiac arrest following a hit during his first quarter tackle this comes from the Bills themselves. And the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Derek Taylor, was watching that game and, and reached out to us right away last night with some of his thoughts. And we say good morning to Derek. How's it going, Derek? Uh, not bad, not bad. It was I've never seen that before in the sport of football and no one watching, uh, calling that game. Joe Buck, Troy Aikman, the Hall of Fame quarterback, none of them could ever remember seeing anything like that in a, in a pro football game. 
We yeah. had Adam Bighill on the program with us just uh, about a half an hour ago at Derek, and I, I mentioned the fact that I remember John Bonk being carted off of the field at Winnipeg Stadium back in the 1980s. But that's the only time in my 40-plus years of, of watching or attending football games that I recall that happening. It's incredibly rare. Yeah, I, I've seen it in other sports. The first thing I thought, and, and like you mentioned, it, it was just a hit. It was just Cincinnati driving down the field, leading 7-3 with five minutes to go. Hamlin makes a pretty routine tackle on receiver T. Higgins and then, you know, stands up and he's he's looking around. And then all of a sudden his body just shuts right down. And the thing it made me think of was Chris Pronger, the NHL Hall of Defenseman, Hall of Fame defenseman in 1998. And it sounds like, from what the, the Bills have said this morning, Similar cases. Pronger uh, in that game in 98 took a slap shot in the chest, uh, then, you know, got up because that that hurts and then was skated to the bench and just fell over. Like your body just shuts down. And what it made me think of was if, I mean, if you get a, a, a blow to the chest at just the exact millisecond, it can just shut down your heart. And that's that's all I thought. And I immediately thought, oh, this is incredibly serious with how the players looked and the oddness of the reaction from Hamlin. And then all of a sudden the broadcast is only showing these super wide shots. He went, this is very serious and I hope this young man's okay. Yeah, and we're still waiting to hear more about his condition and how he is doing. The last reports were critical condition, but we'll hopefully have updates in the minutes and hours ahead. And, and you know, one of the reasons that, that so many people are paying attention to this is because when you you might not know the player, Derek, you might not even be a Bills fan or even an NFL fan, but you can relate to the very idea of watching someone you know and love go down like that and the the reaction from the players told us all right away this is as you said way more serious than we thought but it felt like to some it took too long to make a decision on that game what's your thoughts on just first you know they they were suspending it then the postponement and, and where that took the league yeah and I just, there's one thing i just want to i want to make sure like the the three of us talking here we all know how breaking news works right like you're dealing with a ton mm-hmm. of information and some of it is good and some of it is not good so you're very careful and and ESPN was very careful with what they did last night. However, there was one point where Joe Buck, the, the commentator, said the teams are going to be given five minutes to warm up and we'll resume this game. And that was early on, just after the ambulance had left. The NFL said in a midnight press conference that that was not true. There was no plan to restart that game. So, uh, you know, conflicting sides of, of that. It's... Uh, uh, Brenna, I forgot your question and making sure I got, I got that point that point out. Well, just the idea. And I think you're, you mm. know, when you're in that moment, you might know the rules. It's possible even ESPN themselves under the rules or guidelines mm. of a player getting hurt would say, well, under the typical guidelines, you know, you're given five ma- minutes and then you move on. But this is a different scenario. They, they were doing CPR on the field. You're potentially watching. Um, they were saving a man's life in that yeah. moment. Right. And that's a very different thing. And so it was it inevitable. Do you think that they'd have to delay this game and, and postpone it to a later date? Yeah. The NFL is getting a lot of criticism because, Oh, they waited an hour to cancel the game. I, I just believe they wait. Honestly, I believe, and I have nothing to back this up, but I believe they waited the hour to announce that they canceled the game. Because when you saw Bill's quarterback, Josh Allen in tears, you, you, you knew this is something else. They could see what we couldn't see on the broadcast. So, I honestly believe the NFL knew and the coaches knew, hey, we're not playing this game. So, But the NFL has got to wait to make whatever announcements they can. They, they want to be able to give us the best news possible, right? That That's, you know, if Hamlin had been awake and alert and he's fine, if they knew he was fine, they want to be able to tell the 15 million people watching that football game, whatever the number is, the, the good news. And they're, they're hoping for that. Plus, they have a ton to figure out, right? Mm-hmm. This was maybe the biggest NFL game, the NFL regular season game of the year. These two teams are battling for the one bye into the playoffs, which start two weeks from now. The NFL really wants to get this game in and what wants this to happen. And, you know, before the incident, there was nothing more the two teams wanted than to play this game and figure out, okay, we're going to be the best team in the AFC. So the NFL has a lot to juggle with and they take a lot of, they take a lot of crap from people on a lot of subjects, but, I honestly think everybody knew this game was not going to happen, but they just had to wait to to let us know, hey, this is officially canceled because canceling a game and Buffalo flying back home uh, and, oh, by the way, everybody plays again on Sunday, that's that's a big deal in the course of, a, of an NFL season. 
But I, I think everybody acknowledges that a 24-year-old man's life it supersedes all of that. No question about it. Derek Taylor, thank you for your insight on this. We appreciate the conversation. I know uh, this will be discussed for for days to come and and we'll go down uh, in sports history as uh, one of the one of the more tragic events and we uh, hope nothing but the best for 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 young Mr. Hamlin. Thanks again, Derek. Thanks. We do want to kick off this half hour with your health, your mental health, micro goals versus New Year's resolutions. Is there a difference? And do you buy into the idea of hitting reset just because the calendar has turned over to a new year, Loren? So just after 6.15, we played some clips from different doctors and, and a therapist, and one of them talked about this idea of micro goal, like maybe not making it a giant goal of I will lose 20 pounds, but within that, I might go for a walk more often, or I might exercise more often, but I won't have something hard attached to it. Either way, I think often this time of year, we do think about hitting reset, and so much of it involves around our health. And we're asking this morning, do you think we focus too much on the body and not enough on the mind? Where does your mental health fit into all this? Dr. Julia Riddell is the communications director with the Manitoba Psychological Society. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. So let's talk about this idea of body versus mind because they're connected and I get that. But I think so often when we ask people about what the resolutions might be this time of year, we, we focus on body perhaps more than we do on mind. And is there a way we should rephrase or reset how we look at what we should be planning for the year? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I think so many of us, um, you know, our Instagrams right now are flooded with um, pictures of people at the gym and talking about clean eating. And um, for so many people that can be really helpful. And for many people that can create a sense of, um, you know, I'm not enough or I'm not good enough or I'm not doing it right and can activate a lot of like shoulds. Um, and, and inadequacy, and so can actually be um, potentially damaging or harmful for, for folks' mental health. And so I think a, a helpful framework um, for all of us, whether we're going to the gym, not going to the gym, whether, um, you know, kind of where we're at, wherever we're at, is to, to take a step back, um, even before we set any goals, and think first about what our values are, you know, what really matters to us, um, if our value is around health and that's and fitness, and that's really, really like I'm talking about the five most important things in our life, um, then it makes sense to say, okay, yes, I am going to spend more time at the gym or I am going to dedicate a lot of time and money to um, working out more or, or eating differently. Um, but maybe our values are actually more around, you know, I want to connect with friends and family more. I want to connect with people in my community more. Um, I want to be more creative and have time for creative hobbies. Um, there might be other things in our life that bring us more meaning and more joy um, than putting effort into physical health. Um, so before we kind of jump on the, I need to go on a diet bandwagon just because it's New Year's, um, there might be things that um, could actually bring us more long-lasting health and well-being. Uh, Dr. Adele, I can say with a great deal of confidence, I have not seen one person post on uh, my Instagram feed or on my Twitter feed that declares, I am going to get more sleep in 2023, <laughs> when clearly that's what a lot of us need. But that doesn't seem to be a focus or at least a declared focus for many people. We focus on the food consumption or the exercise. Uh, maybe I'm going to travel more. But this whole idea of getting more sleep and how it can make us healthier on a multitude of fronts, in particular, our ability to focus and to be healthier mentally. Mm-hmm. That's a huge, like, absolutely. Um, our minds and our bodies are so connected and sleep has a huge impact on our physical health, on our mental health, um, on also just, you know, how we are with our friends and family. If, you know, when we're sleep deprived, we're often not our best selves. We can, I know I can be pretty cranky uh, if I have gotten not the right amount of sleep. So I think it, it's important to focus on those things. And I think there's a reason that uh, those types of things that you mentioned don't get get focused on. Um, I think there's a lot of societal pressure to look a certain way, 
um, to have, you know, the perfect body, the perfect house, um, and that kind of, um, you know, having this like beautiful, perfect life. It's it's sexy. It's all over social media, um, and I think that's what people are trying to, you know, kind of get to. This, um, I want this perfect body. I want this beautiful house. When that, the research suggests that like that doesn't necessarily bring us well-being or or lasting happiness. I had said to Greg this morning, Dr. Riddell, and for those just joining us, we're speaking to Dr. Julia Riddell, who's a communications director with the Manitoba Psychological Society. And we're talking resolutions or micro goals or whatever you want to call them for the new year. And I said, I just want to be healthier. And by that, I mean, you know, just healthier in spirit and body and mind. And he's like, well, that's a pretty big goal. Is it about just being more specific or maybe, as Greg has said, honest with yourself? Because at the end of the day, what do I really mean? I'm not sure. I just sort of threw that out there. And I, I don't know how I'm going to hit that if I, if I don't have some specifics or using that phrase, a micro goal within that. Yeah, that's a great question. So my the way that I work with people around this is to is to actually start with their values, as I mentioned earlier. So to start before you even get to goals, to start with what matters to you. So a value is something that you can't necessarily ever get to, like, you know, family, health, creativity, um, making a lasting difference in your field. You know, those might be things that really matter to you. And then taking those into kind of larger goals. So if I had a value, let's say, around um, spirituality, that might be an interesting one. Um, You know, I could never get to the place where I'm like, oh, I'm the most spiritual person in Winnipeg, Manitoba. That's that's not an award they give out that I know of. Um, The goal might be I want to make sure that I'm connecting with members of my faith community. Um let's say I'll stop there. That's, that's my goal. Okay. How am I going to make that what we call a smart goal, which kind of sounds maybe a little bit like what you were talking about, about micro goals, What we, we make a smart goal by really chunking it down. So saying it's going to be measurable. It's going to be specific. So then, you know, how often am I going to do it? When am I going to do it with who, how much, how am I going to measure that goal? So if my goal was around spirituality and I wanted to connect with members of my faith community more often, I might get really specific about, okay, well, where am I going to meet up with them? What is that going to look like? You know, who and how often and how am I going to measure whether my goal is working or not working? So does that answer your question? Yeah, I think so, because I think you can you can say all sorts of things, but if you're not being honest, first of all, but then also making something specific, like the tangible side of it has to be hit. Otherwise, you're probably doomed to fail from the start, Greg. Yeah, and it feels as though we know this, Dr. Adele, that, yes. that this is the way to goal set and, and you know, what... what gets measured, gets done. We know all these different sayings and have maybe even practiced them in certain aspects of our life. But I always find these conversations very similar to ones about money and personal finance. It's it's difficult for a lot of folks to sit down and be honest about where they're at. Where they want to go seems a little bit more uh, like a reasonable conversation, but it's the conversation in between. How do I get from where I am to where I want to be? Mm-hmm. I totally agree with you, and I think part of what can be actually quite a, a conversation with ourselves, with our loved ones, um, is actually starting with values because a lot of people, um, you know, we live in a, a society where we get information from so many sources. It's all over TV, uh, movies, social media, coworkers. There's a lot of shoulds. There's a lot of this is what you should look like. This is what your house should look like. This is what your work life should look like. This is what your relationship should look like. And so a lot of us are chasing those shoulds and really trying to live, I think, um, sort of this, this idealized or perfect life. And so then the goals they're setting sometimes are based on what they think they should be doing or what they think should make them happy, as opposed to being able to connect with their values and what is truly important to them as a person, what really, really matters, and then taking steps towards those goals. Because what I see with people is they're like, well, I don't get it. Like, I worked really hard at the gym and I lost weight or my house is clean and I'm no, I'm no happier or I'm no healthier, I'm mm. no better off. You know, and they don't understand that. 
And well, it maybe didn't matter to them to begin with. And, and then exactly. you set the wrong goal to start off with, right? That's, that's exactly it. I thank you for the time. I'm going to have to reshape my goal involving reshaping my body. No, I'm kidding. I'm not even sure if that's what it was. Dr. Julia Riddell, thank you for the time. So nice chatting with you. Have a great day. We do want to send you to the RBC Convention Center next weekend, 13th to the 15th for the Winnipeg Renovation Show. We have a package of four passes to that annual event. And we have two text messages, two late contenders here. And they've sort of found their way to the top of the heap, in my opinion. Loren, do you want to go? Who's our winner uh, from Nipawa? Or uh, starting with B. This has nothing to do with Nipua, even though I like to pretend I don't like Nipua because of the Minidosa Nipua rivalry. But I'm not going with Nipua. But that's only because all that was hurt was his pride. But they both wrote in. We were talking about a chance to win a four pack to the Winnipeg Home Renovation Show, and the idea that this would be for stories related to breaking stuff. breaking stuff. And both of these come down with almost breaking their bones. So Rick said, this past fall, our house needed new shingles. My wife and I decided we'd strip off the old ones to save a bit of money. All was going well until I decided to stand on the ladder and use a shovel to strip shingles off the eave. The ladder slipped, down I went, hit my head, lost consciousness momentarily. My wife's on the roof with no cell phone or ladder. She had to climb down and call 911. I was okay. All that was hurt was my pride. But I'm not allowed on the roof or ladder anymore, says Nipua Rick. That should have probably been a rule before you went up <laughs> on the roof, I'm guessing, And Rick. I love it, Rick. Brenda just trumped this only because of, um, well, just go ahead, Greg. Brenda says, so you're asking about breaking something. Well, I hope it includes bones. I was camping at our seasonal spot. Hydro went out, so it was totally black out. Couldn't see anything and didn't have a flashlight handy. I went and tripped on a deck and fell, hurt like crazy. Went to bed. The next morning, woke, woke up, looked in the mirror, and yep, jaw was off alignment. Went to the ER and oh, 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 broke my jaw. Six weeks wired shut and everything pure aid for food. Not a lot of fun, Brenda. So we want to make it up to you send you to the Winnipeg Renovation Show RBC Convention Center starting next Friday through the 15th. The Monday night football game between the Buffalo Bills and Cincinnati Bengals was suspended and then postponed postponed rather after a severe injury to Bills safety DeMar Hamlin last night. The Bills released a statement early today saying the 24-year-old suffered a cardiac arrest following a hit during his first quarter tackle of Bengals receiver T. Higgins. The 24-year-old Hamlin was administered CPR on the field, ESPN reported during the broadcast. Teams surrounded Hamlin, shielding him from public view. No small task in a 60,000-seat stadium and millions of people watching on television. Many were weeping. Uh, these are the players now. were weeping and praying while Hamlin was treated on the field by team and independent medical personnel and local paramedics, Loren. He was taken by ambulance to University of Cincinnati Medical Center. Hamlin was down for 19 minutes while receiving medical attention. This from WXIX-TV in Cincinnati. They report that Hamlin required an automated external defibrillator, otherwise known as an AED, in addition to CPR on the field. And so, of course, that has us just talking this morning about how much do you know about giving CPR? And understandably, at a situation like this, he was surrounded by top medical professionals and then of course the folks who came in and the EMS and paramedics who came in on the ambulance but this could happen anytime anywhere and it has us asking this morning this even came up in our house over Christmas who in your family has the training do all of you do some of you how about your co-workers Brenda Preston is the director of learning at St. John Ambulance and joins us now to share more good morning Brenda Good morning. This is obviously an awful situation, but I really think it's important for us to have a good sense of what we may or may not know. And so let's just start with CPR, those chest compressions. Do we have a sense of how many people in Manitoba have that proper training? I know at St. John Ambulance, we train over 20,000 people per year out of our facilities in Manitoba. So that's a pretty impressive number. And yet at the same time, you know, there'll be a lot of us who will say, well, I did get the training years ago, but I don't know if I have the most recent stuff. So walk us through just the basic, if you could, Brenda, you know, if I say I know P- CPR for 2023, what does that look like? 
Uh, you know how to push hard and push fast. Um, that That is the basis of CPR is to get good, deep uh, compressions. Uh, one of the biggest things we find is people don't push hard enough. Um, you know, sometimes we can hear some, some cracking or something underneath their hands, so we back off and we don't push as hard as we need to. So push hard, push fast. Brenda, I understand it's not uncommon when CPR is being administered for the, the person receiving CPR to have their ribs broken. Fair? Uh, fair. Mostly cartilage. Sternum is joined to the rib cage by cartilage, so most of the time it's cartilage that we hear popping underneath our hands. You can break ribs, but it's not as common as people think. Okay, fair enough. So let's talk about the AED, their popularity, their prevalence uh, over the last decade or so uh, has been a very good thing. How common are they in Manitoba? Do we? Do, do you happen to know? I would imagine that there's thousands of them out there. Um, most big centers have to have them, fitness clubs, gyms, community centers, golf courses, curling rinks. So with the province wide, I would imagine there'd be thousands of them out there. So talk us about that device, because again, it came down to this question we had this morning. We're like, wait a minute, do we have one in this building on our floor? Where is it? <laughs> and you know that they're growing in prevalence, which is really great. But then you have to know where they are if you need to use them, Brenda. That's correct. A lot of people work in uh, businesses and they don't know if they have one, they don't know where it is, and they don't know how to use it. Um, I think part of any initial training for any employee is, is to know where the AED is and how to use it. They're fairly simple to use. Um, they all have voice um, direction on them, so once you open them up, they will walk you through on how to use them. They're very user-friendly. With so many of us having been away from the office for months, if not a couple of years, how critical is it for businesses, for office workers and office staff to reorientate themselves, not only with maybe the position of the AED, but overall health and safety within the workplace? It's very important because you never know when something's going to happen. We don't want things to happen, but they do. So knowing knowing where the AED is, knowing how to access it quickly, and also to have it uh, maintained, uh, pads and batteries do expire. Uh, they only have a couple of year lifespan on them. So if you're on the office for with COVID over a couple of years, chances are they could be expired. You talk about the different ways to help someone out in this situation, Brenda. And I think when I when I look back to any training I would have received, say, in my teens, even through swimming or whatnot, there were a lot more steps involved. And it sounds like there's been a move to simplify it for all sorts of different things we've learned about health over the years. And it might be useful for listeners to know, you know, when, when you suspect someone is having a cardiac arrest or a heart attack, is there anything wrong you can do? Or is it just about getting in there and doing your best with those chest compressions or trying that AED? Because I think sometimes people have that fear of, well, I don't want to make it worse. You can't make it worse. Um, If you think about it, when you do CPR, somebody is technically dead. You can't make that worse. The only way you can make that worse is do nothing. It's a pretty powerful statement, and I think that that little bit of silence afterwards is so that it will stick for people. You can't make it worse. If folks want to educate themselves or want to have their employers educate themselves with regard to St. John Ambulance and the training, how do they reach out, Brenda? They can call our office. Um, our number is uh, 784-7000, and we run classes seven days a week. Outstanding. Well, thank you for the time, Brenda, this morning and for the, the very, very, very useful information that I think you know will come in handy to at least one person out there listening today. We appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you. I do think that that's part of it. You know, when I was growing up, if you worried about somebody was, and I'm thinking around swimming lessons and the things you learned, it, you had to tilt the head back and you did the resuscitation and you blew in the mouth and then you did the chest compressions and there was time. Alternated you, between you the alternated two, right? Between, that, they got rid of that years ago and it really is just hit them hard and hit them fast. And, and, and perhaps the more you practice that or at least talk about it in that moment when it, you're confronted by it. You, you will be less panicked and more ready to do what needs to be done. They're quite literally just trying to restart their heart. Right. Right, with that pressure. And terrifying, I appreciate, when, when that's up on you, but it's better than doing nothing. You cannot do it wrong, as she says.